Greetings, Lucasarians. It's uh, been a while, but I am back. Uh, and I'm coming to you um, right now in the wake of the uh, verdict of the Breonna Taylor case and uh, a lot of unrest with that. Um, a lot of more rioting and violence in the streets. Uh, I wish I could say last change, but um, a lot has remained the same since I last was speaking with you. But I, I want to talk about it in general. I want to talk about some of the um, failures and, excuse me, trappings of um, Black Lives Matter. And um, I fully will like to just say I do support um, Black Lives Matter efforts, but I believe uh, that we're kind of like uh, dropping the ball on a lot of things that could be done and we have dropped the ball severely uh, by looking at the movement as blacks only. And um, I'll furthermore get into why um, later on, why if we would have been more united as minority lives matter, uh, we would have saved some lives, uh, a lot of lives in the process. But let me get into it. First of all, black lives matter. Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murder. Uh, Black Lives Matter's foundation is a global organization in the U.S. and U.K. and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy by building local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes by combating and encountering acts of violence, creating a space for black imagination and innovation and centering black joy. Um, that is the definition of their platform as stated on um, blacklivesmatter.com. Now, what I just read to you was uh, is kind of more leaning in a movement to Malcolm X rather than um, Martin Luther King type mindset. It's uh, one sided. Uh, it doesn't see the uh, the other side, and it doesn't really represent um, other minorities that are equally oppressed. Um, I would I would go to say that we are in. A mindset uh, in Black Lives Matter where it's actually entrapment of our capabilities. Um, you know, entrapment is defined as a state of being caught or in a trap. As in a trap, you know, um, we're caught. We're caught in the trappings of. It only happens to us, but um, I'm going to um, like let you know something. There was uh, one instance, one instance in history that if we would have came together as blacks, Latinos or blacks and minorities, George Lloyd, Eric Garner and many other deaths never would have happened. And, uh, it's situations like this that echoes through history to say, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And we didn't learn from history and we repeated it. 
and we still won't come together. And let me tell you, just like uh, I've learned in previous experience when you're working with uh, groups of minorities, even in things as simple as a party, you got to come together and talk. You can't just assume, well, we'll just play our music and they won't really mind because they listen to our music, too. You know, you might want to mix it up. You might want to include other cultures, little things into it. Or you're going to look around and then there's going to be two different lives matter. It's going to be a black lives matter. And then they're going to be saying Latin lives matter. And before you know it, you got two other little um, groups saying their lives matter. Now, the bad thing on this is division begets division because only one group is going to get helped at a time. And I hate to say it, uh, but when you look at some of our um, protests and stuff you see with Black Lives Matter, it's a lot of mixed races in there. And um, a lot of these people that's within our groups that are not black are pretty good at organizing, marketing, uh, pretty good at keeping peace. Pretty good at, um, you know, showing up there with waters for everybody, showing up there with something to give and provide like food or something like that. They bring something more to the table than we bring in just anger. Yes, we're angry. Yes, it's been a long time coming and we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. But, uh, you know, it's it stems to a, a bigger notion because a lot of our interactions and pains of dealing with police is due to our economic status. Um, you know, the racial, the, the racial divide has been, this way for a while but what we have been trying to like merge and fix other than civil rights that had deadly consequence for every man that mentioned it was um the was um the social sustainability and the economic empowerment of the black community. These were the great last acts of not only Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, but also Robert Kennedy. Anytime seemed like somebody spoke out on this too loud. They didn't make it too long, much longer because there is a caste system in America. And if you don't believe it, uh, you know, look in the news and now at all the people that are getting called out and caught up in scandals. They're mega rich. They weren't just rich 10 years ago. They were rich 20 years ago. You know, and if you look at some of the families that have this long type money, they were rich long into this time of oppression. And a lot of them probably got rich off of you know, ill-gotten or um, profits that could be linked to scandal uh, you know, or various other things that hurt uh, people of color or minorities. Um, 
you know, the economic and the, the keys to building the communities um, is the economic, the social and environmental factors of sustainability, along with the factors of uh, social economics, uh, economic, environmental and social environmental. You know, they are they all connect in a way that any movement, any minority group or any group would be sustained if we have them now i'll go back and say those again social economics economic environment and economic uh sustainability uh in the black community uh if you go to a black neighborhood and you look at the businesses on that street we are not feeding money into our community that comes back to our community in a positive way. We feed it to people that work within our community, exploit our, you know, general consumer like nature, and they take the money out of our community and then take it to theirs. Uh, we've heard of the great El Dorado like myths, but real live communities like, you know, uh, Chocolate Town and, um, in Chicago, you heard about, you know, um, Tulsa, uh, like the Greenwood District, uh, and otherwise known as Black Wall Street. And um, these areas exist. They existed and flourished. Uh, but it's a little footnote in history and so much a footnote in history that some people think it's a myth. Uh, some people think it, um, it, it never existed. You know, um, <clears throat> in the work, uh, dark ghetto, there's a noted, uh, sociologist, Kenneth B. Clark in his book, he described, um, inner cities, um, um, that were as, um, domestic colonies controlled and manipulated and exploited. And he's he's he said this uh, a long time ago, but he's not too far off the mark. Uh, if you look at Chicago, if you look at Detroit, uh, once these thriving, bustling cities that had the start to, uh, you know, economic system that would feed and clothe and take care of the black community dwindle in Chicago. There is one pocket that still managed to stay alive, but that pocket is within the Islamic faith. And I'm talking about the nation of Islam and, um, it still does that work to, you know, sustain and build among its members in that black communities. But, uh, black lives matter is, uh, pretty much on a fixed mindset because they solely listened, you know, to the values and to the, to the notions of only one side in civil rights. As I stated at the end of Martin Luther King's life, 
he was forcefully advocating an economic bill of rights to ensure a minimum quality of life and planning of a poor people's campaign uh, to advance an economic justice agenda. It went on to show that the other side of the civil rights fight that was cited earlier by Malcolm X in his ballots or bullets speech. He was not so different from what Martin Luther King said years later. And I do believe Martin Luther King probably borrowed from him and others. As you will see after they all died, someone picked up their torch and tried to run it a little bit further but died in the process. 1964, you had Malcolm X doing it. Bullets or ballots thing. He was just, he was saying that pretty much the civil rights struggle is a is a is the struggle to the level of human rights, and human rights are something you are born with. Human rights are your God given rights, and human rights are are recognized by all nations of this earth, so that every person in America that is suffering under the American thumb is entitled to human rights, no matter the color of their skin or religion. He was saying that then. And he was uh, saying this shortly after his travels to Mecca and his travels abroad where he saw that Muslims came in all shapes sizes blonde hair blue eyes to the darkest of skin and curliest of hair uh he was saying this then and uh he came back and um he kind of started to differ from his uh base which probably ultimately led to some demise uh martin luther king started speaking this but martin luther king wanted to put a campaign movement now you've already had like this elite ground general that just masterfully uh, got civil rights. So to know that he was going to start trying to say that, Hey, I believe that uh, we have stuff that is due to us through years of slavery, stuff that is due to our communities after we suffered and built America on our backs in every pocket of America, where it is poor. Uh, he, Yes, that is a that is an issue that uh, when you're trying to take money from rich people, pockets could get you killed because uh, rich people. Uh, if it's it's kind of like it's kind of like this. If if you don't you don't respect the um, you don't respect somebody, you definitely will respect the shooter because you're not gonna know who the shooter is gonna be, and the shooter is gonna be well paid, um, well paid enough where you can't plead or pay it off pay them off to um to leave you uh, leave you be um but that's just a little bit of conjecture for me but um i believe that um martin luther king's ideals and stuff then aligned into um robert f kennedy's plan of um pretty much like a poor people's campaign that he went on where he went around the camp, uh, the country uh, to pockets and areas. One of the notable areas that he helped, helped 
fuel a future president. Uh, Little Rock was devastated by poverty, literacy, and all kinds of different things in the educational realm and, you know, economic realm. And um, he tried to set out to change some of those things and some of those things changed for the positive, which bettered some aspects of those people's lives, which gave us a Bill Clinton. Um, so just think of, of what we could gain if, uh, you know, we reach into the pockets of, you know, Detroit, you know, the next Barack Obama could be in Detroit right now. The, uh, next, uh, you know, um, Dorothy Chisholm could be in Southside Chicago right now. Or, you know, the next, you know, Colin Powell could be in the slums of uh, Queens. You know, never know. But the only thing that is preventing them from having the opportunity is they don't see college as an option because they don't see college as one being something that their family can afford. They can't see themselves being a first time student in college, first generation, and they can't see the career because they don't see black people in good careers in their neighborhood. They don't see, uh, you know, good grades like that person that's going to go to Harvard or Yale because, you know, they're too busy trying to, Figure out how to feed themselves, how to feed a sibling, how to help mom with bills because uh, there's no one else in the household to help her. You know, trying to make sure that um, you can help somebody keep the lights on, you keep the gas on because winter is coming. And these things are real things that, you know, like, like when it comes down to Laszlo, you know, if you don't have the simple list of Laszlo, you're not going to try to excel to hire things on the wrong. You're going to try to get the base first. And um, sometimes people just get lost in trying to achieve that base. They just get lost in like, you know, that food, water, shelter. And, you know, that fast money can come in and, you know, just provide faster than that nine to five at McDonald's or that that uh, nine to five at Walmart or Amazon because, uh, you know, they ain't going to fire them. You know, they're their own boss. They make their own schedules and they make pay whenever they need it. So, yeah, there is a lot of um, things that these initiatives could have helped. And when you go boil it back down to Black Lives Matter, um, Black Lives Matter um, having such a fixed, a fixed mindset on it only equates to blacks. Uh, you could fix all blacks problems and give blacks reparations. But if the Latino person that stays in that same neighborhood sees, you know, a family with like nice things and stuff like that, you're going to have violence. If any other like group of people see this and then they were like, well, my family wasn't slaves, but we suffering too. Uh, you know, the haves and the have nots. And somebody's going to feel like if I can't earn it, if I can't gain it, 
I can take it. And that's just going to beget more violence. I think the worst thing they could do is give us reparations because over generations after slavery, blacks have been consumers. We shop where they let us shop. We buy what they let us. We let them. They let us buy. And we make brands proper, popular and rich that try to like pander to us. Case in point, if you went outside right now and passed by 200 black people, you probably count at least 100 to 80 pairs of Nike. I'm saying we should be equally challenging to Nike and uh, businesses like this that we support to support our communities and our causes. Not just when it's, you know, uh, Breonna Taylor case or Greg Lloyd case, but every day. Like, um, as, as, as much as Nike makes off of college basketball and, you know, NBA, I believe they should sponsor some scholarships nationwide. Why not? I believe uh, that uh, the much as uh, NCAA, NFL, and uh, all these other like companies make off of uh, black athletes, that uh, you should be able to um, so, um, pay them, you know, uh, a bit of a, a thing wage where they can eat groceries, or like if they need a suit to go to a funeral. They don't have to look to a booster and possibly get in trouble. You know, but they have a sick mother that is like got to get chemo and they want to go see him. They don't have to beg or borrow, like beg or like get somebody to lord over them over a promise of if you turn this or go like do this, I'll help you. You know, you they won't have to be extorted. Um. I want to tap in real quick on this last little notion about um, economic equality. And then I'm, I'm going to get on Black Lives Matter a little bit harder, a little bit more critical. But uh, I want to make some remarks uh, that will segue into it um, that were remarks made by um, Robert Kennedy at the University of Kansas in um, 1968. Not just question of poverty not just on the problems of race relations but all around us and why you are so concerned and why you are so disturbed this is that men have lost confidence in themselves in each other and it is confidence which has sustained us so much in the past rather than answer the cries of deprivation and despair I think these words are hollow and still echoes today. That whole speech that he did is hollow and still echoes today. I think the greatest little excerpt that he said is, is as follows. Uh, rather than uh, answer the cries of desperation and despairs, cries which the president's commission on civil uh, disorders tells us could split our national, our, our, our national um, outlook and our nation finally asunder. 
Now he said that division in communities and millions of citizens could split our nation asunder over time. And he went on to say to force and to force and have a call for repossession of guns and stocks so that we can confront our fellow citizens across impossible barriers of hostility and mistrust. And again, I don't believe that we have to accept that. I don't believe that it's necessary to the United States of America. I think that we could work together. I don't think we have to shoot each other or to beat each other, to curse each other and criticize each other. I think we can do better in this country. He, if you really read through all his remarks said on uh, March 18th um, at um, the University of Kansas, Robert Kennedy was prophetic. Robert Kennedy in those words told you what's going to happen in communities over the next few years in in schools over the next few years in movie theaters over the next three years because there was shootings there was those like and those shootings came from people that had their barriers up in ways of thinking that did not represent humanity as a whole that only looked at a fixed a fixed mindset now black lives matter i said told you as earlier i read to you what their platform was and it's a fixed mindset now we could sit and we could we could hold this fixed mindset but we would look we would look silly and i would tell you why because if we would have paid attention to the sufferings of our you know fellow minorities george floyd never would have died george floyd most of all never would have died um eric garner secondly never would have died why am I saying those two in general? Because the first choking death happened to a gentleman named Luis Alfonso Torres. He died in 2002. Uh, breakdown of this Torres uh, was uh, reportedly left the ambulance after receiving treatment for high blood pressure. His family feared his safety. They called the police when the police arrived. In a Latin neighborhood, they felt on edge pretty much like they do when they arrive on the black neighborhood. And though he offered no resistance, no fight, uh, the police jumped him and took him down and took him, uh, took him down and attempted to uh, subdue him. And one officer applied a knee to Torres's neck while he was on the ground. But in this case, they aggravated it more because while he was down there squirming with a knee on his neck, they pepper sprayed him. Uh, 
Uh, minutes later, he died of mechanical asphyxiation and uh, suffocation due to uh, improper arrest tactics. Check this out, though. There was no charges brought to any of those cops in Harris County. None. Not even criminal negligence. N- nothing. Still to this day. Uh, the guy that put uh, the knee to George Floyd's neck, probably going to do jail time. But that's because when you have a village, when you have a village speaking, change happens. Now, it wouldn't have been too hard to get a village behind us to have people talking and to get change at this time. Because, like I said, this happened in 2002, fresh on the heels of 9-11, where we still had that America, the beautiful little wave that we were riding where we had flags out. Everybody was telling servicemen, thank you for your service. Everybody was like, I'm proud to be an American. Let's go fight terrorism. Let's just be red, white, and blue. Let's everybody stand for the national anthem. Let's everybody, you know, say the pledge of allegiance in school. That wave. Now, like, that wave happens quite regularly with America. You know, we do it with our sports teams. Oh, LeBron went to Miami. Now I'm a Miami fan. He's went to the Lakers. Now I'm a Lakers fan. And it's Laker fever. And it even goes in to like black people. We're, we're guilty of it too. Uh, Trayvon, wear your hoodie. Wear your hoodie. Wear your hoodie for two weeks. And then hang that joker in the closet. And on his birthday, you don't even think to wear it. You can ask most Americans, when is Trayvon Martin's birthday? Trayvon Martin's birthday was 21 days after he, well, 21 days after his birthday, he died. Age 17. February 5th is his birthday, and he died on February 26th. Now, considering the month that Trayvon Martin's death is in, I don't see why we don't remember it every year, the Donna Hoodie on that day. But, you know, it was a wave. Quick wave, like quick, quick little trick to think, make you think about a wave. You know, we were protesting George Floyd, protesting George Floyd, protesting George Floyd. Stopped. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Say her name. Say her name. Then we started protesting Breonna Taylor. Protesting Breonna Taylor. Now, before George Ford, it was Auburn in, uh, in Georgia. So, Ahmaud Aubrey, I'm sorry. It was, so, we, we jump from situation to situation with Black Lives Matter. But we're not making headway because we're jumping situation to situation. We don't have the situation contained. We don't have the sustainability, the social sustainability to get a round turn on this because we're saying black lives matter 
and we got multiple races marching with us. Now, imagine if with that spree of nationalism that we had from 9-11 in 2002, if we joined together and said minority lives matter, and we challenged the police to change their tactics on chokeholds, on knee, on the knee to the neck and all these things what we could have changed and add to you the fact that uh, we had Johnny Cochran still alive back then just saying just saying we had one of our best litigators alive and we wouldn't put him on this case because it's not a black case so that's a little bit of cold water. Johnny Cochran could have got that changed. <laughs> you know, a lot of like good lawyers have passed along through that time that could have got this changed. There's a lot of good judges that was sitting on courts that would demand that this be changed. So I asked you, when you look at the full spectrum of how we could change things, if we were together, is it not better to say minority lives matter than black lives matter? Or are we just going to still think and live within the trap? You know, because there's only one thing that comes in a trap, whether it's mouse trap, tiger pit, you know, or a snare of some sort. And that's death. Death follows entrapment. So if we, stay entrapped in this fixed mindset that we can do this without a village. We're doomed. But as always, I'm, you're, everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know, I'm just giving you like valid facts and uh, valid info. You could form your own opinion. You could disagree with me and totally. But hey, if you do, I would like to hear about it. Hit me up at legionlucas at gmail.com as always. And thank you for listening and one love.